0: Another episode of the Square and Compass podcast. This time we are uh, down south in North Carolina with Worshipful Brother Ben Wallace. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Cameron, I really appreciate the opportunity and it's gotten hot down south. So um, I'm in the air conditioning business. So we're hopping down here. I kind of wish I was up there with you. I bet your weather's better.
0: Well, you say that it is freezing today. It is very, very cold uh, at the moment and rainy and a gross day in Windsor, Ontario. So if we could switch, I would take that. I'll, I'll head down to North Carolina because I've told it's never been there before. And I'm told it's uh, a beautiful place. I'd love to visit one day.
1: Yeah. Hey, you're always welcome here. You come, you can stay with me. We'll hang out. I'll show you around masonry in North Carolina.
0: I appreciate that. Once the border opens, knock on wood, I'm definitely planning to make it down to the States and I'd love to, uh, North Carolina is on the list for sure. So I contacted you uh, through checking out the Mid-Atlantic Esotericon website. That is coming up soon as of this recording, June 12th, and I'm going to be leaving the link where people can purchase tickets uh, for that event in the description to this video, because whether you are a Mason or not a Mason and just interested in esoteric and philosophical ideas, I would strongly encourage uh, everybody watching to, to consider purchasing a ticket for this event. It's virtual, so you don't even need to wear pants. And if that is not a incentive, I don't know what is. But, uh, yeah, you are one of the presenters. So are you looking forward
1: to uh, Esotericon? I am. Yeah, that's a, that's a great conference, and it's a, a great bunch of guys down there. Uh, Joe Martinez and Kevin Homan, and I'm not sure who all else has a hand in actually putting it on. The first year they had it, it was, it was live and in person. So we went. It's in Virginia, so it was only like five hours for us. And we took a contingent from North Carolina, drove up, met all the guys, had a fabulous day of, of education. And then the next year, the, the COVID uh, hit. And so last year, it was all virtual. And this year, they were on the bubble. They didn't know if things were going to be open back up or not. And so they had to make a decision. And so they decided to go all virtual. But again, the, the content of the presenters is always fabulous if you're into the esoteric side of, of Freemasonry. So it's not specifically Masonic. It's open to, uh, to, to anybody that wants to buy a ticket. Um, and there'll be presenters there that are mostly talking about Masonic stuff, but there will be some there that are talking about things that are not Masonic at all. My program is, is kind of, uh, uh, it's about the sacred space and the work that we do in that sacred space. So I've tailored this program just for them, um, and it's partly geared towards the Freemasons, but tar- partly towards uh, other um, Western mystery traditions. So it's a mix
0: well you know that uh, that brings up something that you know I've been been struggling with with this podcast or, or or hoping to change a little bit with this podcast is the the idea that you know a Masonic topic or or masonic ideas will you know exclusively uh, appeal to freemasons or people who are connected to freemasonry you know i liken it to if you say for example mixed martial arts right um mm. a you know the a podcast on mixed martial arts you know it isn't advertising solely to mixed martial artists right, the vast majority of the the audience for those podcasts are people who are fans of the sport. And they find that, you know, when you have a, whoever it may be, Conor McGregor, Diaz, whoever it is, you know, discussing the sport and their history in the sport, quote unquote, regular people, um, you know, are interested in that. And I think the same is true of, of some of these Masonic Slash esoteric conditions. Uh, you know, even if somebody or, or topics or conversations, even if somebody is not a Mason, even, you know, hopefully tuning into this episode of the podcast, there's still a lot of, of wisdom and knowledge and just uh, interest in esoteric and Masonic topics. Uh, and I think there's a lot of lessons in how you know, the struggles of Freemasonry over the years and how Masons run a lodge and what works and what doesn't work, they can be applicable to a lot of areas of somebody's life uh, and any organization that they may be involved
1: in. Yeah, that's a a good take on that, Cameron. uh, Freemasonry is part of a broader... um, congregation of western mystery traditions so we didn't invent the concepts that are in masonry they've been with us for for millennia before freemasonry ever came along in its current form Um, and they're practiced by different esoteric traditions freemasonry came along three four hundred years ago in the form that we kind of know it today uh, and um, created out of that corpus its own style of Western mystery tradition. So when you're talking to the Freemasons, um, you know, you can talk about anything related to to, to Freemasonry, you know, know your audience. Uh, but I was, I, I'll tell you a story, Cameron. I was shocked. Uh, my first Kabbalah teacher, uh, who is a lady, uh, obviously not a Freemason um, and, and, and she was a practitioner of a Western mystery tradition, but she was running a Kabbalah course that was kind of open to anybody. I found myself in that. And we, you know, when we're talking Freemasonry, we have to be careful because, you know, the signs and the words and the grips, and, you know, the, there, there are secrets there, but we just happened into a conversation one day where she started talking what she was, she was telling me about Freemasonry is what she was doing. And she was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I've read a lot of books and I understand you guys have these guys that this guy that sits in the east and this guy that sits in the west. And you've got this storyline. And she laid out the entire meaning of Freemasonry. And I was just sitting there completely shocked that she understood. I said, how do you know all that? She said, oh, Ben, it's just It's Western Mystery One Hundred and One. We all do it. It's just that that's y'all's storyline. Our, you know, our storyline is different, but it's the same message. So, specifically with Esotericon, though they're they're not Masonic. Uh, I I don't want to speak for those guys, but they don't build this thing as Masonic at all. They just happen to have a lot of Masons that they pull from because that's where they know Esoteric guys and where they find those instructors. But the core lessons of Freemasonry are well known to the, the the other traditions. And they, they under, often understand it. My experience is not only this lady that I was talking about, but in general, the other esoteric Western mystery traditions understand the meaning of the ritual much better than the Freemasons do. Freemasonry has lost that aspect of its teachings largely.
0: And I, you know, discussing the, um, you know, esoteric versus exoteric, but also the the ability for masonic teachings and philosophy to connect with uh, a wide audience and also with freemasons you know that is a good segue into a project you're working on uh at the moment right you're working on a path to providence the creation of the middle chamber program uh that is a book that you are co-authoring and it's another example of i i had for example on my program uh William Moore, he is not a Mason, he is a historian, but he wrote an entire uh, thesis or a book a study on Masonic temples in New York built between 1870 and 1930. And that's a book that certainly would be of interest to Masons, but is of interest also to anybody who likes or finds historical architecture, history, heritage, you know, uh, interesting. And I think the same is true of, of your work, right? I'm sure you would be happy to have a lot of masons purchase it uh, uh, and find it, but I'm also sure, you know, anybody who wants it could get something from it and benefit from reading it. So tell us a bit about that, kind of where you are in the process of it, um, and just what yeah you know, what led you to, crew, to to co-author this work.
1: Yeah, thanks, Cameron. So. <clears throat> kind of the background of this is, is is pretty long so if i get too long winded let me know but in, in order to understand the the book you can kind i of have to back up to something that happened in north carolina about 6 years ago um, our education committee which i was chairing at the time had created a lot of uh, of um leadership and management type courses and stuff but we wanted to do something in the so in in the esoteric realm, the more philosophical and spiritual side of masonry, the real meaning of the ritual. So we created um, a a program that we call the Middle Chamber Program, and it was really cutting edge. No other Grand Lodge in in the United States that I know of was doing anything remotely close to this, and what it became was a year-long study course uh, in the three degrees, and the allegory and symbolism of what they stood for. And because it was so cutting edge, um, and we were talking about spooky things like esoterics, we knew that we needed some top cover. So one of the guys in the Grand Line in North Carolina was at the time, I think, the Junior Grand Warden. And his name is now Most Worshipful Brother, Sean Bradshaw. He's past grandmaster now, the immediate past grandmaster. But At the time, he's the Junior Grand Warden. Our grant line has always been really proactive and open to new things. If, if we, if you can make them feel comfortable with it, uh, we have a great, great leadership, uh, contingent here in North Carolina and most worship brother Bradshaw uh, I knew to be an esoteric guy. So, you know, some of the, the, the grand officers are more esoteric, but most are not in most grand jurisdictions. And that's okay because they're, you know, we, we need leaders and managers of, of all ilks. Everybody can't be a, you know, a crazy wizard guy, but, but I knew that, um, that, that Sean was, um, um, you know, uh, really interested in this aspect of it. So we brought him on board to kind of be, um, to be our leader. And so w- with his guidance uh, and our knowledge and work, when well, then we kind of put together this program and it's, and it's become this, this wonderful cutting edge, uh, everybody in, in, in the nation is looking at it. So we wanted, uh, most worshipful brother Bradshaw and myself, to proliferate this kind of masonry, not to take over every other kind of masonry. It's just an aspect that we've lost. And so there's there's lots of fraternal stuff and charitable stuff, and all of that has a place in masonry. Um, But we felt like this had a place too, and it had been largely lost. So after we had the program up and running, uh, we wanted to pass this message off to the other Grand Lodges uh, the other Grand Lodge uh, officers, uh, and education committee chairmen and, and things, members, people that we thought could maybe uh, do their own version of this program. So we decided that we would write a book. Uh, actually, Most Worshipful Brother Bradshaw instructed me to write a book, and I, I started it and, and finally talked him into getting involved, and it became a much better book when he did. So the target audience for for our book is is people that could make this happen in their own grand lodges, and the and kind of the premise is not only should we be um, working on these aspects of this veiled and you know veiled and allegory and illustrated by symbols aspect of the lodge, but that the grand with the proliferation of podcasting and social media. Masons are getting interested in this, and they're getting that message often from, from sources that are not sanctioned by the Grand Lodge. So some of those sources are really good. Some of those sources are really bad, but if a, if, if a Grand Lodge will create a program that teaches this stuff, then they can both have control of it, uh, which means their, their Masons are not out there in the wild west of the interwebs. Uh, and and they can control the message so that's the premise of the book
0: and is the plan for the book to be uh available like uh uh, for order online or once it once it is released will there be a, a way for a grand lodge or a lodge to uh to order it to add to their collection?
1: Yes, and I sure wish I knew what that was, Cameron. So we just decided this week uh, we we sent the manuscript. It was really a complete finished manuscript. We uh, we had already done all the hired a copy editor, um, and and so it was a pretty clean manuscript. We sent it to three publishers, and this week we decided we're going with Audible Pursuit. Uh, Jason Marshall. And he said that he's going to, once we had a gentleman's agreement that that he was going to be our publisher, he was going to go gather some information about publishing costs and how he was going to do all that. And we're going to have a meeting coming up soon, but right now I don't have that information available, but we have forward progress. We feel good. And as soon as uh, you know, we will, ha- you'll see a uh, way to order the book in all the usual locations. I'm sure it's going to be on Amazon. Um, and, and all of the other normal places that you find that laudable pursuit has a, a nice website. You'll be able to order it there, also. I'm sure, uh, but I'm getting my cart a little bit before my horse.
0: You know the thing about the esoteric quote unquote side. It's it's funny because you know by definition you wouldn't think you wouldn't think it, but but in my opinion. Or maybe not esoteric's the right term, but but the the philosophical underpinnings of the craft. Though so that's what seems to me to be the most, if if you can uh, describe it well, that's what seems to be the most applicable to people, whether they are within the craft or not in the craft. Um, You know, the so, so an example that I I might give is if I'm discussing, if I'm giving uh, just practical advice to a Masonic lodge, one piece of advice I might give is in a degree, always make sure that the deacon maintains physical contact, whether it's a hand on the shoulder or whatever it is, with the candidate. But that's a very, practical piece of advice that is really only applicable to a Masonic lodge. But the philosophical underpinnings of that piece of advice, right, the importance of guidance and the importance of support and uh, the recognition of the privilege of being able to guide uh, an apprentice through uh, a degree and through you know a, a test that is something that can apply in one way or another to pretty much any organization and I think that's the key about the esoteric or philosophical it's one thing to talk to a lodge or anybody about you know what a lodge does and how it can be done better but the philosophical reasons behind that really is something I think that that almost anybody can learn from and, and benefit from.
1: Absolutely. So, so in, when we're in Lodge specifically, and just as a Freemason in general, uh, Freemasonry is touching us on multiple levels. We're, we're working in the material, right? I mean, we've got the, you know, the doors and the regalia and the words and the movements and all of the stuff that we practice so much. We're working in the mind, in, in the psychical and psychological uh, aspects of, you know, of our memories and our emotions and our personality typology and and all of those things. And then we're working in the in the spiritual, and this is where we start to lose it sometimes. You know, the the concept of great meaning and of the nobility of, of the human soul. And that's the things that uh, that you can't just drop out there to everybody because they, A, won't understand it if they haven't had some training, and B, it's a little spooky sometimes. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not things that people, that humans are comfortable talking about, m- meanings of, 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 of depth. Uh, and so that's why those aspects are veiled and illustrated. Um, so... Yes, that's a perfect, we, we do the same thing here in North Carolina, keep your hand on that candidate. In in, in a physical sense, you're, um, you know, you're just guiding him, right? And so he kind of knows where to go, it helps him know, you know, where to stand and that we haven't forgotten him. You know, in the, in the psychical sense, it's giving him reassurance and making him feel better about what's going on until, until, you know, that last section of that last degree. And then, um, but on a, a, broader sense, you're really bonding with that, with, with that guy, you know, he, there's, there's power in the human touch. And by, by keeping your hand on him, you're not just making him feel a little bit better about, okay, I'm not fixing to fall down over a stool or something. Um, it goes beyond that it, it's, is really bringing him into the lodge, um, know in a in a profound and spiritual way so you so you're working on all three levels
0: yeah uh where do you think or or do you think that there is a line or or where might the line be between uh you know esoteric versus uh versus woo as, as joe rogan always says in his podcast you know the uh, or do you see a, a danger of, of some brethren going too far into um, uh, you know, mysticism to the point that it's, you know, kind of d- divorced from, uh, you know, it g- g- gets a bit divorced from, from reason? versus the other side of it, which is brethren not taking any of it into account to the point where they're losing something of the, the emotional or, or some of the lessons are getting lost because they're um, you know kind of not considering any of it. I guess where, where's the appropriate place to, to find the line and how do you maintain that balance of practicality for lack of a better term, versus the mysticism uh, side of it.
1: That's, uh, That's about three great questions there, Cameron. Let me see if I can kind of break them down here. So let me address the easy one first, which is can you go too far? And the answer is absolutely yes. So we knew when we started putting this program together in North Carolina that that we were going to be really edgy with it. We were really going to be, you know, talk about things that Masons don't normally talk about. And Most Worshipful Brother Bradshaw gave us a mantra as instructors, and it was stay on Masonry. Stay on Masonry, stay on Masonry, stay on Masonry. And there is a world of esoteric um, things that are flat out said and that are alluded to, veiled and illustrated within your ritual. So you don't have to go outside of your ritual to find Deep esoteric uh, thought processes, but this is a mistake that many people make. So, in addition to the other hats that I wear and have worn, I'm the I'm the immediate past master of Sophia Lodge, uh, which in North Carolina, which is North Carolina's first traditional observance lodge. And the tradition traditional observance community uh, has had a problem with lodges, and in addition to you know, wearing tuxedos and having a high dues rate and excellence in ritual, is that they also tend to kind of lean esoteric a lot, more philosophical and spiritual. Not all of them, but many of them do, and many of those have taken it too far. And we've seen individual Masons uh, take that too far. So like at Esotericon, I'm talking about some stuff that's really out there and edgy, but it's not a Masonic function. That's an esoteric conference, not a Masonic conference. I would have not have done that at Masonicon, which I was speaking at about a month ago, which was a Masonic conference. So both lodges and individuals can go too far. And when they do, what they're doing is they're getting away from masonry. Stay on your ritual. You'll be fine. Then the the, the second part of your question was, are we not going far enough? And, And here's what I think my answer to that is. Organizations evolve for better or for worse, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, and the way that we got to this place where we don't talk about philosophical and spiritual things in masonry anymore comes, uh, in this evolution of it, comes straight from the World War II, World War I and World War II generation that had lived through the wars. They had to make great sacrifice. They learned how to come together as as men and women uh, to get a job done, and they were used to working in groups. So as that happened, as we spiked out at just over four million masons in 1957, um, you could see this huge influx of this uh, of this generation that were, were joining because they wanted to be a part of something. They'd been part of the war effort, and they want and they were fraternal joiners. Not only did they join. Freemasonry in droves, but the elk and the moose and the Rotarians and all of the other organizations really took in a lot of people. When they did, those guys weren't all interested in the philosophical and spiritual aspect; they were interested in the fraternal aspect. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way that Freemasonry evolved. But but what the result of that was that these fraternally minded guys all joined the lodge. And then the esoteric guys that were already in the lodge kind of got pushed to the side as we populated local lodges with officers that were fraternally minded, not esoterically minded. And then those guys, some of them became grand line officers. And then all of a sudden, the the because they weren't interested in the esoteric aspect, the more philosophical and spiritual aspects got pushed to the side because they did not want to talk about it. So when it came up in the lodge, guys were like, no, we're not interested in that, right? And those guys slowly got pushed out. So that's how we got away from it. But you know what's happening now, Cameron? We're nosediving on on membership. We have dropped from 4 million, just over 4 million in 1957, to under a million. So bad that the, the MSA has quit and put is, is no longer putting out membership data. The last one I saw, it was just over, it was in 2017 and we had like 1.1 million, not even quite that. And it was continuing to no stop. So I'm sure we're below a million now. So as, as our membership gets smaller, Grand Lodges in general are um, struggling with how they're going to pay the bills for all this real estate and stuff. And they're worried about the, the, the money, frankly. Um, but the side effect of this shrinking of our population is the guys that come are no longer coming for fraternal reasons. And so we're starting to see young people coming because they're interested in these more philosophical and spiritual aspects. So it's coming right back where it started from. And, and we as individual Masons and Grand Lodges, especially, this is the premise of the book needs to, instead of trying to find, make it easier and cheaper in, in a, in a Failed effort to get more members money. We should embrace the fact that we're getting guys that are more interested in what in in, in what Freemasonry really teaches.
0: This is a bit of an aside, but since you're you're an American uh, brother and you brought up World War One and World War Two, one area of research that I've been thinking about lately is just based on conversations and this podcast and one question that i'm not sure if anybody has an answer to, but i kind of want to research it i'd love to hear just your thoughts on it is especially from the american perspective because there were canadian soldiers who fought in the vietnam war um, but obviously much less than than in the united states obviously and do you have any thoughts as to why it might have been that you know, you saw, and I've spoken to soldiers uh, on this podcast, you know, you saw such increases in Masonic membership in Canada and the United States after World War One and after World War II. In fact, as an aside, um, I'm I'm missing both of my legs. And the reason I'm able to be a Mason in Ontario uh, is because before World War One there was a rule that you had to be a uh, quote, unquote, whole man to be a Mason yet have all for your limbs. And there were so many veterans coming back after World War One that were missing limbs that the Grand Lodge changed that rule specifically for veterans coming back from the war. So anyways, but the, the, my question is, any thoughts as to why you didn't see or why Masonry didn't see the same uptick in membership after the end of the Vietnam War uh, as you did with World War One or World War II?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I have a couple. And, and first, I'm going to give you an apology, you and your listeners. I, I was spouting off all these U.S. numbers and I for, I forgot you were in Canada. I don't have any Canadian numbers, but I'm
0: assuming we're, we're, we're dropping.
1: the same dynamic. So yeah. um, so the, the short answer is I, I I don't know, Cameron, but I have some ideas. Um, the, so here here's a couple of thoughts on this. One is everybody wants to rebel against their parents, right? No, nobody wants to really be like their parents, it seems. And so we go through those rebellious teenage years. And so those guys that fought in Vietnam, um, you know, one, they were just probably rebelling anyway. And then we saw this entire counterculture spring up that was partly a result of, of the anti-war movement, partly part of... Um, you know, the social things that were going on in America and probably partly just, you know, and anti, um, you know, kind of against our not, not wanting to be just like our parents. I, I'm not sure what mix you put those things together in. Um, but it was a troubling time in America. The height of the Vietnam war was arguably 1968, which was a very difficult year for our country. Uh, this is the year that, um, of the TED Offensive uh, is the year that we uh, lost Martin Luther King. Uh, We had the Chicago race riots or or the the riots in Chicago uh, at the convention. I mean, it was just a very difficult, it was a turning point in America. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody just had zero interest in being patriotic or being a member of anything that would that smacked of an institution and so they they just kind of fell off the the it's also an interesting dynamic if you talk to the the Vietnam veterans um there's a ton of them that get back together with their units these days but they didn't do that for like 25 years they it's it's very very common to talk to those guys and say Hey, well, I didn't talk to anybody from my unit for, for 25 years. And then this one dude, you know, in the nineties decided to put together a reunion or kind of got us all back together talking, you know, emailing back and forth. And uh, it's just like, they wanted to forget that time uh, in America. And and I think that concept feeds into why they were not fraternal joiners, but I don't really know. You'd have to ask a sociologist.
0: Yeah. It's just it's coming up more and more. It, or, or that question has been on my mind more and more, especially because of this podcast and speaking to historians, um, you know, a lot of whom talk about the those great boom periods being connected to World War One and World War Two, and in the fact that you didn't see that following uh, the Vietnam War, which in the states, uh, certainly, I would suggest was. Just from a logistical and, 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 you know, the number of Americans involved in it and the length of it, it was certainly a, a very significant, uh, world. you know, so it's interesting to, it'd be very interested to talk to a sociologist about why they think that may be, but that's one of the, the topics that has been on my mind as of, as of late, so when you brought it World War I and World War II, I figured I'd have to bring that up, and see if you, see about any of your thoughts on it. As we are recording this before Esotericon, and I plan to post this before Esotericon, and there is a link in the description to get tickets for Esotericon. Uh, talk to us for a little bit about what you will be presenting on at Esotericon. Uh, the you know the impetus, why you decide to present on this topic, and, and what it's about, and what. You know, masons and non-masons will be able to derive from your discussion.
1: Yeah, and, and thanks for the opportunity to do that, Cameron. I, I created this program specifically for those guys um, because it was it, it's a problem that I see all the time. So the program, the premise of the program, is that when we're in lodge, and I and I use this term lodge both for the Masonic lodges and, and, the, and the other. Again, I'm not talking just the Masons here, but I'm going to use the, the kind of the generic term of lodge because your listeners are all Freemasons and they'll know the term. When we go in the lodge, you're really um, in a in, in sort of a mystical way. You're kind of going into yourself, right? So you go in there and you make a sacred space. Now, a sacred space can be a lot of things, right? Ryan, Ryan Flynn... My, one of my buddies, this um, masonic artist, showed a picture of his sacred space, and it's where he does his paintings. Your your house of worship could be a sacred space. Your little your a little grove of trees in your you know behind your house could be your sacred space. Doesn't have to be all spooky. It's just a place that you go um, to 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 feel uh, close to yourself at a deep level and into divinity it could be i've even got a picture a slide in the in the program i do of of uh, like a thanksgiving meal at obviously what's like your grandmother's house right so these could all be sacred spaces that sort of exist for every human every human has these places that are sacred to them but in lodge we can go there and specifically make a space that's carved out in, in time and in space. And we do that through the opening ritual. So, you know, there's, when we get ready to, we close the door, we, we have, you know, the ritual saying everybody says their words and there's knocks and there's, you know, all the stuff that's going on. But the result of that is we're making a space where we can be together with our brothers and that we can all be like-minded, and we can open our minds and hearts to, um, to, to, to learn and share with our, fellow, with our brothers. So, that, so that's the space. And then there's the humans. So the, the humans, the masons that populate this space that are there on some random Wednesday night um, have to do their part. So the ritual does the creating of the space for us. We just have to do it well. It's better if you do it well, but even if you do it poorly, then you're still making the sacred space because it's been done for eons before and it kind of exists in, in, in the ether, so to speak. The humans come in though and they have to do their part. And for their part, they need to um, open themselves to the to the fact that this isn't their own show. They need to do their ritual well, they need to understand that they're that what they're doing in their speaking parts, and in, if they're just sitting on the sidelines, just being there, is uh, is communing with their fellow uh, masons, and so they're they're hopefully giving good attention to their opening um, and the work that they're going to do, and if they're doing ritual work. You know, they're loving up their candidate, they're, they're thinking good things about him, and so they're becoming like-minded, all pulling in one direction, right? So that's kind of what the humans are supposed to do. And then the third evolution of putting this all together is that we ask, in some form, divinity to be with us, right? So the, for the Freemasons, there's an invocation, just like we have it. I'm a Methodist, just like we have at church, right? We have an invocation. It's the, the opening prayer, so to speak, where we're asking deity to come be present with us. That's what the opening prayer is, okay? to illuminate our minds that we may walk in the light of that countenance, right? So if divinity is coming to be with us in this space that we have made for divinity, and we're all kind of like-minded. The, the meeting of this third leg is that the humans that are kind of getting like-minded then have to lay their own personal ego and their little S self, their, 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 I thinking their, it's all about me thinking aside. And those things meet in the center at the altar. And so you sacrifice over your, your, your ego and that meets with divinity in the sacred space where everybody's thinking alike, and you can have a, a and, and that is what makes for a very powerful Masonic meeting. The problem is, in this, is sometimes we don't make the sacred space so well, but it doesn't, that doesn't matter so much as long as, you know, we, we do, the better you do it, the better experience you're going to have. And we're always asking divinity to be there. And, you know, hopefully we're doing that well. But the humans are the ones that screw this up because the, the, the humans will sit there. The Freemasons, I have suffered through many a meetings where they're sitting there arguing over, you know, are we going to have green beans or pinto beans? Or they're arguing over, you know, this charity golf tournament that we're trying to have and some think it ought to be this way and some think it ought to be that way. And there they are getting mad at each other because they're uh, they're you know, they're all trying to get their own way or somebody's trying to be the boss of the lodge or somebody's mad at that guy on the other side of the room. And he's, you know, being uh, snarky to him, all of those things. And, you know, you can go on and on with that are ego driven perspectives But if we can lay that aside and just be there with our, with our, with our essence, with our, with ourselves in harmony with our brothers, then it opens you up to a different kind of lodge experience than most Masons have experienced before.
0: Is the creation of a sacred space worth the or how, how do I put this correctly, is, is does the creation of a sacred space necessitate, necessitate, I can speak, necessitate the, the sacrifice, what, what sacrifices are necessary on an individual level for that creation of a sacred space?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Cameron. So, So sacrifice is, I'm going to try and be careful answering this. Sacrifice is a great part of initiatic work. Initiatic work being a broad term that we use in all the Western mystery traditions, including Freemasonry, where we're trying to improve ourselves in our essence and transform ourselves into better people. So on an individual level, you're sacrificing that ego. In a lodge setting, in a group setting, If you could just set aside your your ego and, and your want for doing things my way and getting my way, then that's the sacrifice that you have to make for just a little while. It is very difficult. It is a life's work to do this on an individual level. But my experience is that in a group level, Uh, you can set it aside for a little while, if that becomes your lodge culture. Let me give you another uh, kind of a a sister example here. You can have a crappy day and go to lodge, and you can choose to be happy for a little while. Now, if you are unhappy in your life, then you can't, it's unfair to just say, hey, quit being, you know, grumpy or not liking yourself or or, um, you know hating on yourself or feel like the world's against you uh, and just be happy all the time doesn't really work on a that's a longer journey that's that's a marathon that you're going to run but you can go to lodge one night having had a bad day and say okay for the next hour and a half I'm gonna set aside all you know my worries and I'm just going to be here with my brothers you can temporarily do that you can do the same thing with your ego you you can you can really want to get the golf tournament held at your country club and not the other guy's country club. But you can set that ego aside and not be pissed off about it if you don't get your way uh, for a little while, right? Now, you may harbor some resentment, you know, deep down inside, but but really, you you just got to let those things go. Maybe the guy, you know, across the way Uh, challenges you about, you know, how you did the lecture last time, whatever, he he somehow, he's he's busting on you about something. You can set that aside and choose uh, to sacrifice that ego for a little bit pretty easily. And when you do that, then nobody's coming at it from their angle. You're coming at it from y'all's angle, as we would say down south here.
0: What about sacrifice in terms of um, family work like I so uh, I think he was from the south actually Hunter S. Thompson who I'm uh, fond of you know he had that that great quote that probably been overused in a lot of ways but I'm fond of it right it's for every and I'm paraphrasing you know for every moment of true beauty, uh, a thousand souls must be trampled. Um, And the the basic premise of that was that there is to create, you know, uh, uh, to create anything beautiful, whether it's a beautiful song, a great piece of art, a mixed martial arts, you know, whenever anybody is able to master anything and create anything of true beauty, there is a significant amount of suffering that will precede that. And not just on the part of the person creating the thing, but there can be a lot of collateral damage in the way, you know, the the behind the music point of view. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie Yesterday? No. One of those movies. So it's, it's an interesting... I think it at the end of the day it doesn't answer its own question. It tries to have its cake and eat it eat it too. But the basic premise of the movie is because I love the Beatles. Guy gets hit by a bus and he wakes up in a world where the Beatles never existed. He remembers them, but nobody else does. Mm-hmm. So he starts, you know, playing because he's a musician. He starts playing all these Beatles songs, and everybody thinks they're his. And they all, uh, you, you know, he, he becomes famous from them, and then he. He ends up tracking down, uh, in this world, John Lennon, who ends up being like a painter, uh, living in a somewhere. like he never, you know, and, and he he, um, he lives to be whatever, 70-something in the movie, right? He never, because he was never famous, so he never had, he never died early, any of that stuff, right? And, and the movie tries to have it both ways in the sense that in this world, they get to have the Beatles because this guy remembers their songs and plays them for the crowd. And you get to have John Lennon live a, a good, long, happy life. But I think there's a, there's a question under there, which is, you know, is having a song like Imagine is having a band like the Beatles worth the suffering that John Lennon experienced? Cause even despite his life being cut short, he also suffered a lot to create those great things. And I just think Freemasonry, there's a question worth asking there too. You know, a to me, uh, a great piece of ritual improves the world as much as an amazing song, as much as an amazing movie. You know, it makes the world a better place. But in order to have that greatness, there is a sacrifice that's necessary. Sacrifice from family, sacrifice from whatever it may be. You know, wh- what about that question is, uh, you know, how much sacrifice is necessary to create these really beautiful and amazing things that we see in Lodge? And it, can the price ever be too high?
1: Cameron, you not only ask good questions, but you ask really long multi-part questions, (laughs) so let me, let me, let me, you brought up a couple of different things that I think we ought to address there. So I'm also a Scottish Rite Mason, and so um, I'm pretty familiar with the Scottish Rite work, and there's a couple of prevailing themes that you touched on in your, in your question. One is, um, in the 32nd degree, near the end, uh, there's a part that the minister of state does where he's talking about all the things that you were just asking about. We're taught a couple, couple of things. One is that masonry is is work. So what, what I hear you saying and completely agree with is no great profound thing was ever created just off the cuff. I'll just make it. It was a lot of work. They, those People, whether it's you know a, a band, a song, great ritual, uh, people pour their heart and soul into it, and they spend a lot of time practicing, and that's a lot of time away from family, and that's a lot of time that they could be doing other activities, and so they are sacrificing to make it good. So on one hand, it's unfair to ask guys to sacrifice as much time away from their family as as, as me and some of the you know the guys that are doing this nearly full time. It seems like. Uh, are doing, but on the other hand, if you don't sacrifice at all, if you don't practice, then you turn out a product, a ritual, or, you know, a program that's, uh, that's no good, and, and what's the point of that? So, so the, so the, so the, the first thing the Scottish Rite uh, teaches that I'm, that I'm dredging up is that masonry is work, and the, and the other is, is balance, right? They're talking about the royal secret, which is learning to balance things in your life. So the amount of sacrifice that I'm able to give to masonry is different than the amount you're able to give, which is different than the amount that, that you know, Joe, Joe Mason down the street's willing to give. Some people, you know, are in a place where they can sacrifice more, some less. Uh, some are, are willing to make more sacrifices than others. But if you want to have an impact on masonry you've got to sacrifice some and you can and, and it's all about finding the balance for what your vision is um, versus how much work you're willing to do to get there and and the important part Cameron and your question is is that you that you think about it so many times I see guys that are just kind of swept up in the torrent of, of Freemasonry and they're just doing the things but they're not consciously deciding, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to put more effort into this and less effort into that. They're just kind of going from one thing to the next. Um, and and all of the guys, in, like me, um, have come to a point in their Masonic careers where they said, okay, I, I'm doing everything. I'm spending my entire life in Masonry. Uh, I've got to cut some Masonic stuff out. And they, and they culled off some stuff. And they 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 chipped off some some stuff and uh, some superfluous stuff so that they would be able to uh, you know give more time and effort to the things that were important because they were trying to make some things great not do all things mediocre. I don't know if that's an answer, but
0: yeah, no, it's a good answer. I guess the question is, and I've touched on this with with other podcasts, is should masonry be an it should the focus of uh, Freemasonry or should Freemasonry be an enjoyable experience or a uh, uh, fulfilling experience for, for or, or a, even a sacrificial experience, right? In the sense that um, I don't, uh, I'm a very lazy human being. So I don't particularly enjoy exercise uh, I'm r- not particularly fond of it at all, uh, but I, for lack of a better term, it's I find it a fulfilling experience, or at least you know a, a sacrificial experience in the best sense of the word. Right, I'm sacrificing enjoyment in the moment because I recognize that there's uh, a value to the activity. You know, I I think the, the the thing I've heard a lot over the years I've been a Mason thirteen years so. Not a long time, but not a short time either. I suppose, and, and is you know, guys come to lodge, come to Freemasonry, you know, for a desire for companionship, for fun, for enjoyment. Which there's nothing wrong with, but they're not necessarily recognizing, you know, the the. Why? Why should they sit in a in their 500th degree if they've seen 499 degrees? You know they're thinking I could have more fun and more enjoyment sitting on the couch watching TV or being with my family, and it's like that's true for you. You may have more enjoyment being at home this night, but the candidate, it will mean a lot to the candidate if they see a full house, if they see you there and sacrificing your time to be there. And at that point, it's not about you. It's about the candidate's experience, right? And I think even the way Freemasonry is being promoted, uh, uh, I've seen a few advertisements for it over the years. I think Australia had one, but it's all like, I get to meet guys for a beer. I get to meet my friends. And it seems that there's such an emphasis now, David Goggins, Jocko Willink. uh, There's even a book written recently called The Crisis of Comfort, such an emphasis now on, you know, men actually seeking out challenge and actually seeking out work and and fulfilling and sacrifice is something that seems to be at least talked about more and more on the online space, to the extent that it's just talked about versus acted upon is a question that, you know, bears asking. But I guess, yeah, that's my question, you know, is is where does the enjoyment stop and the sacrifice start? And maybe we're a bit too empty we, we've emphasized too much the enjoyment and not enough of the sacrifice.
1: Cameron, that's a great question. You're, you, I, I love your cat behind you. It's got, It's about to get in the cabinet. What's the cat's name?
0: Cat's name is Bandit. <laughs> awesome. Um, she's uh, she's uh, I've been on a couple episodes of this podcast. She's trying to get up there now.
1: <laughs> that's classic. Hey, I love Jocko, and I love, I love what you're saying here. I, I can only relate my experience. There is nothing that demoralizes me more than to go to practice for something where everybody's really not pulling their weight. And then, you know, during the practice that it's going to be not the best experience that it could be. And then you go to the lodge meeting, to the degree, whatever, you know, and everybody isn't all prepared and everybody isn't synced up just right. And, you know, the candidate, it is important to be there for that candidate. But you know that that candidate didn't get the experience that they deserve. But there is nothing more fulfilling than to go to a practice where you know that everybody's going to do their part. Everybody's going to know their words. Everybody's sacrificing the time to be there. And that that is going to be an awesome degree and you can't wait to go. We are so lucky in North Carolina that um, we've been allowed to create things like the Traditional Observance Lodge. Um, I, you know, that's not, that experience is not for everybody, but for me at, at, at our lodge at Sophia, um, every meeting and every degree is a fabulous experience and it's fabulous because we put the time and effort into, you know, practicing and planning, uh, to, to make it a great experience and, there's a ton of guys out there that just completely befuddle me that are perfectly happy to go to, you know, their hometown lodge on a random Tuesday night and, you know, have bad food and uh, do a bad opening and closing and have no prog- pro program and argue about the bills. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have the right to do that. They, there's a place for that in masonry, I guess. I just have no desire to do it. and, and, so they're not sacrificing very much, and they're getting a poor product at the end. But it becomes magical when when you really pour lots of time and energy into something, and you come away from that experience that that lodge meeting, that degree, saying, "Man, that was awesome! You could just feel the energy in the room. I'm I, I'm so proud of us." Um, I'm so happy for our candidate that he got that experience, knowing what you know he could have gotten if he went to you know a lodge that wasn't doing that that level of work. So I think I think it's a small population of people that feel like I do, but boy is that a switched-on crew, and there, and it it makes masonry worth it for me to uh, to do it that
0: way. You mentioned. Bad food. I've never been to North Carolina, but I have been to, you know, different uh, towns in the the south. I would be surprised if the food was bad because every time I've been anywhere in southern United States, the food has been absolutely amazing. I don't know if any any part of the world, not that I've traveled extensively, but of all the, the types of cuisine I've tried, southern usa has to be by far the the best so even your version of bad food in north carolina probably would be delicious uh to a kid from canada yeah
1: yeah we're pretty lucky you know i know I, i i visit a ton of lodges so i i know the ones that have the really good cooks usually they have their wives involved uh and or or some uh you know some lady or something cooking Reminds you of your grandma, uh, yeah. We have good food usually, but you know, I've been to lodges where they do, you know, sandwiches or they'll order some pizzas or, you know, whatever. And it's, I mean, you know, it's not bad. It's all good. Well, yeah. I've
0: got, uh, I've actually got uh, grits in my cupboard over there. A friend of I'm Mason, a guy called De Juan Hannah, when he was in the states driving for me. Grits is by far my favorite. My favorite food for breakfast. It's the best. So I'm guessing you guys have a lot of those. Maybe not at Lodge, but in North Carolina, I'm sure there's a lot of that stuff floating around.
1: Yeah. 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 I cook a lot of grits. Yeah. There, there after the podcast, hang around. I'll I'll tell you the secret to how to make fabulous grits.
0: Well, you should say it on the podcast. Don't don't deny us Canadians, because we don't we're trying to find grits in Canada is a very challenging experience. They're around. Sometimes, if you're lucky. there We had a Southern restaurant in Windsor for like five minutes, like 10 years ago. And they served grits. And I think I was there every day for, uh, for them. But yeah, grits, I mean, the barbecue, the food. North Carolina, I'm sure, uh, has some great food as well. Are you guys, speaking of North Carolina, uh, unfortunately in Ontario, we, you know, Freemasonry is still... Uh, primarily meeting in a virtual space. Our our in-person meetings are suspended until September 1st. We are doing things online, Uh, but how are things going in North Carolina? I believe most states have meetings happening once again. Yeah, so
1: for the last several months we've been um, allowed to go, uh, but we could only meet it. I think it was one third capacity. You have to sign a form saying if you have any symptoms, check your temperature, you know, um, wear a mask. Um, but slowly they've progressively, um, started loosening those restrictions. And just last week they came out with, uh, we, we can pretty much meet any, any old way uh, without mask. We just still have to do the form. Um, saying if you have any symptoms or not. But other than that, we're pretty much open for business.
0: You we're guys on, meet your-
1: I, I'm sorry, Cameron. Our our grandmaster uh grandmasters, this spans too, um, have followed the governor's
0: guidelines, is is essentially what they've done. Do you guys meet over the summer or do you take the summer off?
1: Um it, it's not prescribed, but most lodges have in their bylaws that they have the option to go dark for a some period in the summer. Uh, my lodge will usually take two hours.
0: Well, I very much appreciate you mentioning at the start uh, uh you know that I could swing by North Carolina and, and crash with you, and I will take you up on that at some point because I would love to to visit with Masonic brethren and just in general visit North Carolina because I've been lucky enough to meet a few brethren. Uh, through this podcast and in general uh, from I think both Carolinas but it seems uh, everybody's been super friendly and uh, it seems like a great place to visit and I'm sure that you know anybody watching this, if you find yourself in North Carolina, check out Freemasonry there because I'm sure it's, um, it's it, I'm sure it's a terrific jurisdiction, check out the uh, you are with Wilkerson College Lodge And the Traditional Observance Lodge, Sophia Lodge, number 767. Those have websites uh, that people can check out.
1: Um, I know they both have a Facebook presence. I'm not sure how up-to-date their websites may or may not be.
0: Well, make sure to check them out if you can, and and Freemasonry, North Carolina in general. Uh, One more time, I'll remind everybody that if you've enjoyed listening to Worship Brother Wallace. He will be presenting on June 12th at Esotericon and the link to pick up tickets is in the description to this video. I'll also throw your bio in the description that was on the Esotericon website. Um, you know, I think everybody prefers to do these things in person, but it's understandable why they're going virtual. And like I said, you, you know, There's a downside, but there's an upside. It's certainly very convenient. You don't need to wear pants. What more could you want? So I would strongly recommend people purchase tickets. And one more time, just mention the book you're co-authoring again, um, because I would recommend, brethren, keep an eye out for that.
1: Yep, it's called uh, A Path to Providence co-written with most worshipful brother sean bradshaw the immediate past grandmaster here in north carolina it's going to be uh with laudable um pursuit uh, which is jason marshall's publishing house so and you'll be able to find it on amazon i'm sure there'll be a whirlwind uh book signing tour when when we finally get this thing hard copies
0: and a project that i have just started through square Encompass. compass uh If you look on the bottom of your screen, my email will pop up, just look down. I am the secretary for Harmony Lodge 579 in in Windsor, Ontario. And one of my favorite things to do when I travel is to exchange information with secretaries of any lodges I'm visiting and start a uh, summons exchange. It's a bit like having a pen pal, wherever it is. So I'm hoping to um start a summons exchange or i think in some states it's called a trestle board trestle board of summons exchange with uh with all 50 states to have at least one summons coming in from all 50 states and, and all the provinces here in canada so with that um if you're watching this and you want to learn about masonry in windsor shoot me off an email and we can exchange summonses with your lodge and brother wallace if You would be so kind as to talk to your secretaries. I'd love to start exchanging summons with some North Carolina lodges. It's not a state I have yet. So I'd love to have it right on. Yeah. And with that, like comment, subscribe. I got a Patreon page, all that good stuff with this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And you mentioned Ryan Flynn. He's actually another interview I got today. Another guy from uh, Esotericon. So Hopefully, I'll get through all of you guys before the the event. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Cameron, for the opportunity. Hey, ask Ryan Flynn about his time in Florence, Italy. He'll tell you.
0: Florence, Italy.